Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, and local business owners. We have our marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have the folks who help others create and grow their businesses. And we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers. If you are one or more of the above, and in fact, many of our listeners who tune in every week are all of the above, please take a moment, explore our episodes, and discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, be sure to look us up and subscribe to us on iTunes. Every five-star rating helps more business creators just like you. And be sure to subscribe because you will get fresh content every week, plus immediate access to nearly 230 different topics that cover a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you. So today, we have a very interesting topic, and I, I love when these come up. And this one's going to be about building a badass brand. And if that topic excites you, then you're going to be really excited by our guest, a woman named Pia Silva. And just to tell you a little bit about her, uh, she's an entrepreneur, speaker, and writer, and she's a partner and brand strategist at Worst of Fall Design, where they build badass brands without the BS for one- to three-person service businesses in one- to three-day intensives. She's a Forbes contributor and has spoken at a host of entrepreneur organizations, including Goldman Sachs' 10,000 Small Businesses, the Chamber of Commerce, Squarespace, and WeWork. Her company was named among the top 10 design firms led by young people that are changing the way we look at the world by Complex. Her upcoming book, Badass Your Brand, Impatient, The Impatient Entrepreneur's Guide to Turning Expertise into Profits, launches pretty much any day now. March, uh, well, actually it did launch already, uh, March 16, 2017, and uh, I will be getting a copy of that, as will you, by the time you finish hearing what Pia has to say. So why don't you come on in, Pia? Come on in. The weather's fine. Thanks so much, Adam. Great introduction. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So what I'd like to do now is, and our listeners know that we do this every week, is before we get into the main topic of what we want to cover today, and the information you're going to be sharing with us is quite substantial, is I want to take a few moments and just get a little bit of your backstory. As people are getting to know you and who you are and where you come from, just tell us a little bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today serving our business creators from the intersection of your brilliance and passion? Sure. Thanks for asking. Um, well, I am a born and bred New Yorker. Um, I think that gives me a little bit of an edge, wouldn't you say? Uh, <laughs> and very independent, you know, raised in a very independent manner. And I think that's where I got my entrepreneurial spirit from the beginning. Um, right. Always wanted to do my own thing. Didn't really know what. Um, when people asked me when I was young, you know, what do you want to be? I just used to say, in charge of whatever. I really don't care. I just want to be in charge of it. Um, and so I did a bunch of different kinds of freelance and consulting things um, out of out of college. And I eventually ended up dating and then engaged to uh, an artist who is also a very talented graphic designer. And at a certain point, I said, you know, 
you are very talented and you don't know jack about business and i can make a lot of money off of you honey so let's do this <laughs> i said i'm going to build a business around you you be the creative and the talent you don't have to deal with the clients anymore you don't have to deal with the charging let me do that and that's really how it all started we we started out of our apartment in brooklyn we just wanted to work for ourselves and do our own thing and um it was really fun. It was really intense, as anyone knows who just kind of started. I didn't know anything about the business when we started, uh, but I learned on the job. And over the years of building a business, uh, I learned very quickly how important it is to differentiate yourself and to stand out from the competition and how um, really I learned about branding in my business's own need to brand. And through the branding and, you know, the process of learning branding for our own business, I also started doing it more and more for clients, and we almost accidentally developed from a graphic design freelance business into a branding company because we realized how valuable and important and critical it was to the success of all of our clients. So that's the evolution, where, how we got to the branding business that we are today, in short. Right, and, you know, that's a really great story. And what I'd like to do, uh, we've had folks on Business Creators Radio Show before on the topic of branding, and we also have at least one, maybe two trainings inside the Business Creators Resource Kit at businesscreatorsinstitute.com on the topic of branding. But let's begin by defining our terms the way you'll define them. So tell us a little bit about what branding means for solopreneurs and small businesses who are selling their services. Yeah, I love that because nobody knows what branding is, even though everyone's talking about it all the time. Right. Um, so I, I find that people have all kinds of definitions. Some people talk about it uh, in relation to your visual brand, like your logo, the design of your website. Um, a lot of people will talk about it in terms of the emotional connection you have with your with your clients. You know, how do customers perceive you? And while none of those are wrong, um, I don't find those to be very helpful. So I actually define branding. Specifically, I define badass branding as having two critical characteristics. One, it has to magnetically attract your ideal clients. And that means that it has to be okay with being something that's so unique and special and specific that it attracts those clients and it's okay repelling everyone else. Um, I say on my homepage, you know, badass brands are okay being misunderstood or even disliked by some because they know that it, it's required right. in order to be loved by others. So that's characteristic number right. one. Characteristic number two is it, you must be able to charge a premium price and still win the business. So this means you can charge more than your competitors and, and often beat them because what you have is so differentiated. It, it is positioned as a, in a category of one, which means the competition uh, pales in comparison. Right. And, you know, another way I've heard branding defined is by the feeling that it gives your audience, your prospects, your transaction partners, and your customers. Uh, one of the experts we've had on board defined branding as basically your customer service policy because it defines in the marketplace how people can interact with you. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think that that's a part of it. I mean, it, the the brand, this is why it's such an elusive idea. The brand is everything. It's how people feel and think about you. It's how people talk about you when you're not in the room. Um, but I would say that everybody has a brand in some capacity. I mean, you have a default right. brand. Your brand might be boring and forgettable, but it's still what, 
still what you're yeah. you're seen as, right? So that's kind of why I put the spin on it. And I, I really only talk about a certain kind of brand and one that I find, you know, the most profitable and powerful brands are the badass brands. Right. And, you know, I think that's, that's very true. So before we go any further, um, well, you know, specifically tell us a little bit more about what you mean by a badass brand. I mean, I, I mean, a few people's names pop into my mind as soon as I hear the phrase badass brand, um, one of whom happens to be the President of the United States, and then there are a few others as well, where love or hate them, <laughs> they are very much a personal brand. And, uh, and when you hear that name, or you see that logo, or you see that face, you know what you're getting. Love you it, feel it something. In the middle. You feel something. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely right. So, so tell us a little bit more along those, you know, along those lines or along your lines how we define a badass brand, because I really want our listeners to get what you're sharing with us today. Yeah, I think um, badass brands really know what they are and what they're not. Um, they're not right. afraid to speak to the things that they truly believe in. They take a stand. They draw a line in the sand. They know that some people are not going to get it, and that's okay. Um, they're, they're much more powerful because they're willing to only be attractive to some. But instead of just being attractive to them, you're, you know, as I said before, you're magnetically attracting your ideal clients. And I think that's a big perceptual shift for people from branding to badass branding is you're understanding, oh, I'm not for everyone and I don't even want everyone. I want the people who are going to be rabid fans of mine. You know, I want people coming into my world and hiring me because, man, they see that I'm the best person for them. And in turn, I am the best person for them because I'm delivering a level of value to this specific niche or focus kind of person, their problem, whatever it is, that, that nobody else really does. And so we are a perfect fit, and it's a, it's a love affair that we have with our clients. And that's really the, the space that I like to play in in terms of badass branding. And when people come to us and their goal is to play, for example, the pricing game, or they want to diversify, or they want to be everyone for everything for everyone, I just tell them, you know, you're just not my client. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a good fit for you because I don't believe in that. And I can't do that for you because I don't think that works. So that's, you know, and that's me being my badass friend because I'm saying, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Yes, I know you want to pay me, but I don't want the money. I want to work with people who are really going to soar and, and, you know, take these ideas by the reins and, and have success with them. Right. And when I think about that, you know, that brings to mind, I've had prospects come to my door, uh, people who I think are actually great friends of mine, uh, but when they made their request or they made their proposition about how we could do business together, how my company could serve them. They even checked off all the boxes. If I were to go to the customer avatar, it's like, okay, they have all 17 of these qualities. Uh, they mm -hmm. have the money. They have obviously the drive. They want to get started right now. They're, you know, they're saying all the right things, but something that I can't quite put my finger on energetically just wasn't there. It's nothing personal and it doesn't mean I don't like them, but I just didn't see myself getting out in the bed, out of bed in the morning excited about this. Yeah, I completely agree. You should be excited by all of your clients. That's how you build a really powerful brand and reputation in the world. Right, right. So I, I also have a section. Sorry, I was just going to say I have a section in no, my book ahead. that rails against uh, working with friends and family members completely, actually. <laughs> so I try not to do it. Um, there's a lot of reasons why, but it's, it's 
tough. There's a different expectation. You know, I think that managing the psychology of the relationship between you and the clients is critical to having success. Yeah, you know, um, that, that's funny because I had somebody in the family once who um, – I, I'll just say this because, you know, we at the Business Creators Institute, uh, we, we say things as they are. I had a, I had a relative who wanted to uh, start an online shop selling sex toys. And uh, mm-hmm. I was just thinking, uh, this is my blood relative. I really don't want to talk about sex toys with this person even casually, much less be involved mm-hmm. in a business over it. And I don't want to have to deal with them at family gatherings. Um, if there's some business dispute. I also uh, worked with another relative uh, trying to get them set up in business, and they ultimately decided they just didn't want to do it. But in the meantime, I put them in front of my couple, couple of my other clients. So um, I'm a big believer in separating the business from the personal. And I've had situations where people I've become friends with, we've ended up doing business, and we had to have a specific conversation about how the friendship and the business were two completely separate things. And that's Easier said than done, and I can only think of mm. two cases where I've done it successfully. Mm. Yes, exactly, and I just think there's a lot of – if you really want to work with someone who's a family member or a friend, you have to put those guidelines out from the beginning, and even then, I've just found sometimes it's just not worth it. It's like there's so many companies out there. I know you want to work with me, but you know, I like to not mix business and pleasure too much. Right, right, right. Very true. So we were getting started a moment ago with uh, how we use the concept of the badass brand to stand out from the competition. So could you develop that a little bit further and then maybe give us an example or two of of how you've seen that work or how you've made that work? Uh, feel free to toot your own horn a little bit. <laughs> sure. Um, well, badass brands are, you know, often owning their space, uh, their, you know, I have kind of some pillars and different ways to approach this, but, you know, it's really how are you um, picking your target market in a specific way? How are you communicating your voice in a specific way? Uh, ideally, I hate to use the word authentic, but it should be coming from a, a real place from within. Um, you know, how are you – I specifically work with service businesses, so I'm often helping people uh, stop charging – dollars for hours and hourly rates and start charging for value, which often involves packaging and productizing their services, creating, you know, a clear sales funnel so that, and not in the scary sales funnel way, but in a more, uh, you know, okay, well, you want to buy this thing first, and this is how we get you in the door, and this is how we get to know each other, and then you can buy this larger thing once we're uh, very well acquainted and you really see my value. And I find that you actually can eliminate a lot of the sales conversations when you enact um, strategies like that. So, uh, and, you know, often I'm asking people, like one of my favorite questions, everybody's favorite question that I ask is, what do you stand against? Because everybody asks you, well, what, what do you stand for? That's your brand. And I just find that when you ask people what they stand for, they say things like, oh, you know, honesty and integrity and great customer service. And, and these are all things that, yeah, everyone stands for those things. You know, I mean, isn't that a given? Like, that you can't build a yeah. unique, distinct brand around I give great customer service. Because you know what? You have to be great at customer service. You can't just say you are. Now, Zappos is a good example. You know, that's the famous customer service brand that really owned it. And they didn't say, we, you know, they didn't really say we, this is what we're all about, customer service. They just were so good at customer service, and they made it their pillar. So I'm also usually showing people how important it is not just to say whatever 
you are, but to actually be it. And really, if you can avoid saying it and you can just be it, it's going to be more powerful. Um, so I like to ask people, what do you stand against? Because when you, when you talk about the things that you dislike about your industry, what you think your competitors are doing wrong, then you start to find the space where you can actually own something that you're for. And often the best answers are ones that um, your competitors might even be for. So I'll give you an example. Um, we had a client, uh, we have a client, I mean, they're, they're doing, I love talking about them because they're a perfect example of this. They're in the financial, uh, the financial industry. Okay, so pretty generally pretty boring space. Um, lots of financial advisors out there all feel the same, all saying the same stuff. They were no exception. They were a husband and wife team. They used to work at Merrill Lynch, did very well there, yeah. uh, and they left in order to uh, build a business where they were helping young professionals, millennials, people who didn't have the $500,000 minimum in liquid assets that Merrill Lynch requires. And for them, they said, you know, it, we think it's important that young professionals who are making good money but aren't necessarily uh, at the point where they can get a financial advisor, they should still have access to really sound financial advice so that they can become wealthy. So um, their their mistake was that they still, and this is many people's mistake, um, they still were positioning themselves as financial planners. So they were kind of stuck in the box that they thought was appropriate. Um, so at the time they came to us, their company was called Moderna Capital. Their website was nice, but it was still, it was just, it was like maybe slightly more edgy than the Merrill Lynch website. And to be perfectly honest, the, you know, if you're going to compete with Merrill Lynch, you need to look different. It needs to be different. You can't just be a kind of yeah. lame version of them. So um, so we asked them, what are you against? And they said, well, we're against the corporate Merrill Lynch, uh, you know, everything. We're against how, how they only work with, uh, you know, wealthy people. We're against just the way that they speak, all of that. So I said, look, you need to embrace your actual voice. So we, you know, renamed them. They're, they're now called Stash Wealth, and you can go on their website, stashwealth.com, and check them out, because you'll see this is completely different now. <laughs> um, they really, I got them to embrace their language for their audience. They're, the younger people, they don't want to talk about 401ks in this boring and dry way. They want to talk about, you know, how do I get out of debt? How do I, I mean, not necessarily just debt, but they want to talk in bite-sized pieces. There's a certain voice and language, and the owners of this company had that voice. So we made their newsletter financial cliff notes. Um, they always send out a – I mean, their, their newsletter is also a great example of great content. They send out, like, a little – there's a little section with a happy hour, like cocktail of the week. Um, they send out tons of great articles, really, really useful and informative, but very much positioned for their demographic. Um, and then the other thing that we did for them that was huge was we uh, productized their financial plan into something called a stash plan. So uh, if you know about financial planners, generally speaking, people, they onboard you, they wine and dine you, they onboard you, and then once you give them your assets to manage, then they'll do a financial plan included. But we said, you know, your generation that you're going after, maybe that's not the right model for them. Maybe you should just take this financial plan and package it and charge a flat price for it. 
And they said, well, these people have no money. We're going to charge them for something that's usually free. And I said, look, these people might not have as much money, but they are interested in quick fixes and answers. And you're asking them to marry you before you guys have gone on a date. So what they want is a financial plan. They want an answer. So give them a product with a flat price and answer that question for them. So we productized it. Now it's uh, $1,000, and essentially – People buy that without any whining and dining. We got rid of all the networking, wow. all the wedding and dining. People buy that. They, you know, about a year into it, 20, about 20 people a month would buy them off the site. They'd do the financial plan, and then 95% of them became managers, managed services clients. Because after you do a financial plan with them, you experience how great they are, and then they say at the end, okay, so you can go do this yourself, or we can do it. And everyone says, oh, great, you do it. So we just eliminated that whole, again, this whole sales process that people go through and instead put forth a really distinct, differentiated brand with a very unique offering that actually got them into the pipeline much faster. So uh, we, I love touting them because they really embrace the voice. Um, I, you know, I told them there's copy on their website, get your financial shit together. I don't know if I can say that on the radio. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, you can. <laughs> um, you can. Okay. Okay, well, uh, when I told her that, she said, we can't say that. You know, this is the financial industry. I said, that's exactly why you need to say it, because you're not the financial industry. You are something different. And now they've done a really good job of embracing it. But at the time, it was it was difficult. It was challenging because it was so different. But it was so authentic to them, and it, it's really worked out. Right. One of the things that um, is challenging about the financial services industry is the whole compliance side of it. I've had clients who are – uh, financial advisors and financial planners and things like that. And when we tried to do badass things, uh, you'd have these uh, pencil pushers who probably couldn't even spell the word marketing say, well, that's not compliance. Or when we built uh, email campaigns for them, they would say, well, the subject line doesn't sufficiently enough match the content. And according to CanSpam, well, CanSpam my ass. You actually have not even read CanSpam because what we're doing is not only perfectly legal, but you're inserting things into CanSpam that don't even exist. I know CanSpam better than most people because for 10 years I lived, ate, and breathed it every day. So uh, you run into that sometimes. But what I find very exciting about the story you're telling is it is possible to get around uh, some of those very rigid confines of the compliance side of financial advisory and financial planning. And it sounds to me like you've identified a secret sauce that many others uh, would give anything to have. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and yes, absolutely, the um, the compliance is a big part of it. And I know that they are constantly sending – I mean, they have compliance, like, on speed dial to get everything through. But it's just a little right. bit more work in the financial space, but it can be done. Yeah, because I, I, I love this whole idea. And when you latch on to what are you against, uh, it reminds me of a quote from uh, General Dwight D. Eisenhower when he was reflecting on what we learned from World War II. That the, uh, I'm going to paraphrase him. He said, um, our soldiers may not understand what they're fighting for, but hopefully now they'll know what they're fighting against. I love that. Exactly. That's yeah. very powerful. It's a very powerful motivator. Right, right. And going back to Zappos for a second, uh, you know, it's interesting we talk about them when we refer to branding because I have a couple really funny stories. Um, I had heard years ago that you could call Zappos and order a pizza. So I tried it, and lo, lo and behold, <laughs> a pizza showed up. I, I, I'm kidding. serious. They actually took my order for a pizza and made the call and made sure it showed up at my door. I, I – 
could not believe it. And then I had another case, and this is a friend of mine, actually. Um, he was um, interested in the woman. They had been going out, and she was, uh, she was fanatic when it came to shoes. She was constantly sharing pictures of shoes from Instagram and, and talking about them and, and uh, had about 500 pairs of her own or something like that. So he wanted to get an understanding of that culture and what you need to know about shoes and things like that. So he actually contacted a rep at Zappos and sent them some pictures of her and, uh, and asked them to, you know, wearing her shoes and asked them to explain what she was wearing so he could be conversant in those conversations because he was interested in learning more about it. Uh, not only be, not not just the way to uh, score with her, but uh, but because it was an area he was genuinely interested in, he saw it as, a, as an expansion opportunity for his own horizons. And they took time out to help him understand uh, what this chick was wearing. I mean, I thought it was I thought it was very interesting. And even though he personally was not looking to buy any women's shoes, he went and told probably 50 people, including me, and probably got him 20 more customers. Right, right, exactly. And so they really walk that walk. And so while most people talk about customer service as being a pillar of theirs, I mean, are they going to those lengths? I mean, Zappos, it actually is a pillar of theirs. So it's not enough to just do the minimum and be, a, you know, have good customer service if it's going to be a, a pillar of your brand. And, and Zappos is a great example of really taking it to the extreme and how that's how you own it. And oftentimes when we're branding companies, we're showing them it's not about creating this, this uh, you know, I like to say, there's not a word that's going to make you fall off your chair and say, oh, my God, that's the best brand ever. It's how you manifest it in everything that you do and over and over again over time. Right, 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 right. So, We've alluded to this, but let's get into it in a little more detail now. Uh, part of the reason that folks want to really focus on building a badass brand is because they want to get out of the rat race of constantly hunting for clients. Uh, they'd rather start attracting high-paying clients that they would love to work with. They want the clients coming to them, making the case why they should be the client, not themselves going out making the case why they should be the provider. So how do we make that transition? Well, I think it has to do with first really understanding where your expertise lies, what space you're going to own, uh, where you have authority and how you can build authority and reputation in your expertise and authority and your brand, because they're all kind of one and the same, over time. Uh, once you have that positioning, and I recently posted an article about how marketing is a waste of time, if you haven't done this branding first, because if you haven't figured out what Base you're really going to own, you can spend all the money on marketing in the world, it's going to be very expensive because you're not going to be able to easily convert people. So once you do that work in the beginning and create that foundation, then of course you need to build your authority in the world because uh, you don't want to be the best kept secret, right? A, a, you don't want to be like a tree in a forest that nobody sees. So you then take that positioning and then you create uh, visibility around that over and over and over again. Um, you really nail it home in every way that you can, and that can look a lot of different ways. Uh, and it obviously depends on your business. Uh, I find that, uh, you know, again, I work with small service businesses, and generally speaking, writing is one of the best ways to do that. It's a tried and true method, and I don't think, I think a lot of people think, 
there are too many blogs out there or there's too much content. There's a lot of content, but there's not a lot of great content. And especially if you own a space that is very specific, there's probably even much less content in that space. So the more specific and you own a positioning where there are very few people in that specific niche, the more need and opportunity there is for content that talks about that, that attracts your exact ideal customers. And by creating uh, writing and by, by content, I'll be more specific. I mean, writing and sharing your particular approach, your point of view, your knowledge, your strategy, you know, helpful advice, giving value. If you do that over and over again, you will, it's both a way to advertise, but it's also a way to get people down your pipeline much faster. So I have over the last couple of years between my book and my Forbes column and my blog, I have created more content probably than is necessary, <laughs> but yeah. what it has done for me, and it, and it did for me years ago before I had as much as I do, it meant that every person that emailed me or called me um, interested usually called me all the way down the pipeline. Hi, Pia. I have been reading your articles. You know, I, I just read your book. I need what you have. And that's very different than when I first started and I had nothing out there telling, explaining my point of view, showing my expertise, where it would say, hey, you guys do design. Uh, we should talk. At that point, I was a commodity. There was nothing out there showing that they should work with me over others. So it's a huge difference when you create that uh, expertise in the world because people come to you rabid fans and, and down the pipeline. And that's such, I mean, there's no sales at that point. It's really just, okay, well, let's see if we're a good fit or not. Um, and to me, that's not sales. You know, sales is really, I want to try to get you to buy this thing, uh, regardless right. of whether or not you want it. Whereas I see it much more as like, let's see if it's a fit and if it is amazing. And if it's not, I'll try to send you in the right direction as best I can. Right. And that's it. Yeah, I yeah, I really like that. And uh, the next question I guess I have is, you see some people that uh, try to be controversial, and I think sometimes they do it on purpose. In some cases, they uh, can't complete a sentence without saying the F word. In some cases, uh, they go yeah. highly negative. And, uh, but at the same time, I see these folks have rabid followings. They, like, literally write down everything they say and try and live it and, in many cases, experience <laughs> success from it. So uh, for somebody who really just wants to fly their freak flag high, I mean, uh, I mean, how well <laughs> does that really work? And have you ever seen it, like, backfire spectacularly? Yeah, you know, I never, as much as my brand is very contrarian, right, and our, our tagline yep. is badass brands without the BS, um, and our company's worst of all designs, so clearly yep. we're going in one direction, right, Adam? But that is very, I have to say, it's very authentic to me and my partner and my husband and kind of the way we do things. Um, I think it's a mistake when you do it because you think it's a good idea, um, because if it doesn't come from an authentic place, it's it's going to reek of inauthenticity. So I think it doesn't. And, and for the people who, you know, really own it, generally speaking, I think it's pretty hard to own that negative or, uh, you know, cursing all the time. Even I don't use the F word. And I, you know, like I, I have a, yeah. my space. 
that I feel is like authentic and appropriate to me. Um, and I would never go outside of it because that would be inauthentic. If somebody is doing that, either they're doing it inauthentically and they think they're probably not getting that much traction because of it, or that's really authentic to them. So they have rabid fans and they've got a bunch of people who don't like it. I'll tell you, I was speaking at the Chamber of Commerce last year and I said, I, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I try to curse minimally, but I curse to make a point, you know, I'm, I, because that's how I am in life, too. I'm not somebody, I don't really have like a, a potty mouth, but, you know, I'll, I'll curse to make a point once in a while. So I said something about the bullshit, and, and somebody came up to me afterwards and said, this guy next to me really didn't like that you said that. Um, he thought it was inappropriate, and the person telling me the story said, and I turned to him and I said, that's exactly her point. You're not her client. <laughs> so I loved yeah. it because not only was the the guy kind of came to my defense and also was kind of uh, reinforcing the fact that he got it and he is my ideal market, and that guy isn't, and that's what I was saying. So I think it's just to each his own, you know, and everybody should be comfortable with that. And it's hard to be comfortable with it when you're doing it as a marketing ploy as opposed to it really coming from an authentic place. Yeah, I mean, with me, with me, I tend to be somewhat edgy, and that's just my authenticity. When I uh, am in situations where it's like I have to measure my words and tiptoe and be so correct with everything that I do, it, 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 it's actually kind of a buzzkill. And one of the things that I look for <laughs> when I'm having an initial conversation with somebody where there's a possibility of us doing business is sometimes I'll put a few things out just to test their reactions. I mean, nothing, you know, profane or vulgar or anything like that, so to speak, but uh, I'll push the envelope in a few different ways. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll let you in on, uh, and the listeners in on a little secret. Now, if you're speaking with me about the possibility of doing business, be authentic if this is you, because it'll be better for all of us in the long run is um, I love when people push back. Because I want uh -huh. to work with people where I am not the, the one-eyed man leading the blind. I don't want to be the hero, <laughs> the guru, the savior, the trailblazer, or anything like that, even if I use those terms in my marketing. I want somebody who I'm working with who knows as much as me, and, and maybe in some ways even more than me, about what I do. Because I have found that when we have that in place, they will have greater appreciation for the value we provide because they get it. Right, exactly. Right, and that's what we're trying to create with this push-pull. You actually end up with more value in the end for everybody. I love it. Right, yeah. <clears throat> so let's say somebody was um, getting ready to start their own business because a significant uh, segment of our listeners are people who are in startup mode, and we also have some folks who are currently in the 9 to 5, and uh, they listen to us because they look to get that slight edge for their side hustles that are looking to build either into their primary thing or because they just want to have a side hustle so they can blow their paycheck and invest the uh, proceeds of their side hustle. That's a way of living for some people, and um, yeah, I think that's perfectly fine. So if somebody was looking to get started with their own business, what are some pieces of advice you might give them for getting into it? Well, you know, I generally help build strategy and brand and help people find their niche and, and what their badass positioning is uh, based on previous experience. So 
So I don't like to do it in a hypothetical way. I'm full of ideas, but an idea is just right. an idea until it's actually executed in the real world. So I tend to not work with people who are just starting out. What I do actually when I get startups and I, you know, startups do call me, as I usually say, go sell it. Just sell it to anybody. Do something. Get a client or two um, and, and have an experience and then come back to me because I want to talk about some concrete information. I want to hear that you worked with someone and this is what went well and this is what didn't. Um, because the times that I have in the past consulted with people who were, were working on an idea, I found a couple of things happen. If they build a whole business and brand around an idea before they've actually sold it, uh, first of all, they don't actually have as much, the, the needed confidence to go sell it. So oftentimes if they get a couple of no's up front, they, they go back and they re- they reevaluate the whole business. Maybe it's too expensive. Maybe people don't want this, which really is antithetical to building a brand where you understand that some people are not going to want it, but they don't have the confidence to keep pushing forward. And I find that to be a very big problem. And the other thing is without having any sort of experience in the real world, uh, I this one client in particular, um, or she was rather, I was kind of consulting with her, was coaching her through this. She built this whole business around one industry. It was the CPA bookkeeping industry and then after she find, she got a couple of clients and did them she said oh god I don't want to work with that industry that doesn't I really want to work with a different industry so it was right. you know it would have been so much better if she had just had a couple of clients and learned that early and then built her strategy and positioning around that experience because then you can see yes and in, in, uh, in you know hypothetically this might be a great business this might be a great target but when I work with them I actually don't like working with them so we should have built a business right. around it um, so that's what I tell startups. They say, just go get a couple of clients. Do whatever you need to do to have some experiences in this, and then start to build a strategy around those experiences, what you love about them, and where you can make the most profit with them. Yeah, funny thing. Uh, I actually have two quick stories here, um, one of which is from inside my book, and we'll, we'll talk about your book in a few moments here. Uh, mine is called Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy, uh, International Amazon, <laughs> Amazon bestseller in three countries. Yay! But uh, one Yay. of the points we have, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's from a web designer friend of mine, and she had a situation where some people approached her and uh, wanted her to build a membership site for them and this is the language they use, and I think you're going to see through the BS in about two seconds. Uh, we want you to become a partner and an investor in this and share in the revenues. Now, most of our listeners know that's code for. We don't have two dimes to work together. We want you to build a right. site for free, and I hope that maybe we make a dime off of it. And they told her about the program and uh, you know, all the teachings and all the stuff they put together for this membership site. They just needed somebody to build and make function and everything else. And uh, they said, you know, you know, Carly, this is a really, really great program we have. And she said, whoa, you know, based on everything you've told me, this does sound like a great program. So how many members do you have? They said, uh, well, we're pre, pre, pre-launch, and our projections show that we're probably at least six months away from going to market, and that could be even longer unless we can get you to uh, build our, I mean, invest in our uh, brand here and build our site. And she said, well, uh, what makes it so great if you have no customers? Um, how many people have uh, paid you? How, many, how much of the stuff you've actually done? Um, how many people have said, wow, I can't wait to see your membership site. Here's my credit card now. Just go ahead and charge it when you're done. 
And they didn't have an answer for that. So her response was, okay, well, not that I don't want to be involved in this, but why don't you go get some paying customers and then use those revenues to pay my fee? Uh, right. They were never heard from again. And I think it goes <laughs> back to something that you said, is people will go out there and they'll get a couple no's and then they'll just chuck the whole kit and caboodle. Um, I've argued for years that there's a difference between a membership site and a membership program. And you can have the latter without the former. In fact, it's often recommended to have the latter without the former because find out if you even want to be in this business, first of all. Uh, maintaining a monthly membership program means you have to create new stuff every month, and you might just run out of steam. You might have you know, been at some seminar and somebody said, ooh, riches in membership programs. And but you decide, yeah, I don't want to do that. So how do you, how do you know <laughs> unless you try? And I, right. there's another one. This is a, this, this is a good friend of mine. Uh, he, um, you know, we've done modules with him before, and uh, I was actually, and he's going to know, who, he listens to this, he's going to know who he is, and I'm going to tell, tell him that I'm, I'm saying this with all love. Um, I was involved in, in an attempt to get his startup going about three years ago, and it just kind of sputtered out because there, were, there was a lot of meetings and a lot of plannings and a lot of tentative uh, things on the marketplace. And the irony here is although he was in startup mode for the way he was doing this in 2014, he was already recognized in a market for this brand and had hundreds of veterans of pre previous iterations of this program. Now, the happy news is he's gone back into startup mode and he left straight into money. So instead of years and years of planning, he just went straight into money. And here's what he did. It's real simple. Uh, he reached out to every single alumni, veteran, and previous student he could find. He got them into a Facebook group. He's got hundreds of people in this group. He started doing a free 101 version of the training for people who had taken it before and wanted a refresher and also they could invite their friends to test this out. And he's built a funnel where at different touch points throughout it, you can join his monthly coaching program where you get direct access to him. And lo and behold, the money is flowing in simply because he decided, okay, well, this time I'm going to do something that just makes me money first. So there's, you know, there's no big development of a website, although he has one, and there's no huge plenary thing. It's like, let me just get in there, reconnect with my students, get them telling people how great it was to work with me, inviting their friends, and now he's got this great little thing going, and it's, it's really catching up. I mean, uh, it's. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm aware he's about to make some pretty significant investments in the thing. So, uh, but it's because he did it the right way the second time around, or whatever time this is. And I know we're going to be hearing a lot more about him in the months to come. Cool. I love that. You know, I, um, I really t try to teach people that, especially when you're investing heavily, you really want to invest on something that's that's at least kind of been proven, especially when it comes to marketing, for example. You want to know that people want to buy it before you start really pouring on the cash. I think of money as being, right. um, you know, being, what do you put on a fire to make it bigger? Oil? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. the, when, you're, when you're camping, you know, it's not, it's not the kindling. It's, it's like the, it's, it's what, what builds the fire and makes it bigger once you've got a little fire going. Um, not to say right. that you shouldn't invest in yourself. I do think I believe in and have myself heavily invested in learning. You know, I, I love working with consultants and coaches and taking, like, taking courses where I get some new information. I mean, all of that to me is very valuable. But when you are going to turn on the fire hose, you want to turn it on to something that's already got some 
some fire going uh, so that, you know, you can grow it. And that sounds like exactly what your friend is doing. And, uh, you know, that that's the model that works because it's coming from a place, oh, wow, we a lot of people like this. I bet a lot more people would like this. And that's powerful. Right. Yeah, and, and what that goes along with, and this is one of the reasons why uh, discussion groups like on Facebook and LinkedIn are just so awesome, is you can get your raving fans in the same room as your prospects, and the latter hear the former just raving about you and decide they want it for themselves. So in effect, you get your satisfied customers for life to do your marketing for you, and you're not even asking them to do so. You're just simply putting a bunch of people in the same room where they can all hear the conversation. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually a market, uh, a space that I've only – started to tap into so i'm actually really looking forward to tapping into it much further yeah yeah and uh, and i and i know that you would be uh fantastic at it with your badass approach so um so uh, <laughs> anything you. else anything else anything else you can tell us of i mean other than and i can see evidence of this just by looking at uh at your website that you are a lot different than a lot of branders out there so what else do we need to know about you that uh, lets us know that you truly are different and a standout from everything else they're going to see. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, I would say that a lot of the behind the scenes that I really help people with, and I'm learning this actually more and more uh, because, you know, I have my, my high-end services, and we continue to do those. We love doing them. Um, our process yep. is very, uh, you know, I, I tried to build something that I would want, which is I'm coming in and, and I'm helping take care of this for you. You know, I'm not asking you, do you want, what pages should you have on your website? I'm saying, based on your business, these are the pages you need. This is the copy you need. We're going to do the whole thing for you, and I'm not going to leave any loose ends. And I love doing that. Maybe it's part of my badass controlling nature, but I also find that the clients love it because they're like, thank you. Thank you for solving this problem that I didn't even understand enough about to ask questions about. Um, and that's what I do. Yeah. You know, that was the core of our business. But in the last couple of years, I've really built that into because we, you know, became pretty expensive and I love helping solopreneurs and like micro business. And I love helping one person, two person businesses because uh, I really enjoy helping people to build their own little empire. You know, it's like I, I love the idea of everybody having their, their little profitable business that affords them a really uh, free lifestyle. Uh, you know, I'm not talking about necessarily having to make million-dollar businesses. I'm talking about making, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars doing what you love and having a lot of free time to do other stuff and spend time with your family. To me, that's, that's what a lot – I know there's a group of people that are going for that, and I'm one of those people, so I like to help people do that. So in the last year or two, um, I built first a DIY boot camp and then like a higher-level, uh, you know, video course where you can take my process and do it for yourself and actually get support from me. And that has been really interesting because I've learned that the live support has often been around uh, mindset and also – um, really helping people understand the psychology of what it means to take care of a client and how to, how to approach a project and working with a customer in a way where you really are taking total responsibility for it. You know, you're coming in and you're saying, you, I understand that I'm the expert here and you don't know enough about this, so I'm not going to rely on you to tell me what I need. 
you're going to rely on me to ask you the right questions, and then I'm going to create what this plan is, and I'm going to execute it, and I'm going to stand by the results that I get for you, because that's really in your best interest, and what's in your best interest is in my best interest. So it's, I mean, you know, it's, it may sound obvious, but I find that a lot of people aren't necessarily approaching their businesses like that, not because they don't want to, but because they, the default model is a little more hands-off. And, and, I, and that, in turn, creates businesses that are not as profitable because people are hiring you as, a, as the hand. You know, I know what I need, and I just need you to do it, as opposed to, I, I think I know what I need. Can you help me figure out if that's right and then do it? Yeah. And that's really the model that I'm promoting. Yeah, that is, that is a key differential. And, uh, you know, in some cases, they are looking just for the hands to do it. And uh, going back to what I said about the type of clients I like to work with, Sometimes it does become a bit of that, where they understand as much about it as I do, and they just don't want to do it themselves. That's all well and good. And I also look in those relationships for them to say, okay, so what do you bring to the table here? I have this idea of how I think it's going to work, but challenge my thinking, um, ask challenge questions, uh, show me other best practices you have, and help me make this even better. I'm not looking for somebody to just implement, implement, implement. Uh, You know, funny thing that's – used to happen to me a lot is, uh, and this probably goes back to the fact that I used to own a web development firm, even though I have never been a web designer uh, in my life. Uh, I hired designers to do it. I mean, I understand how it works, and I can do the programming side of it and everything. And, um, you know, my, my brilliance is when it comes to writing copy and designing funnels and things like that, but like the colors and the layouts and things, I can I can tell you what, you know, will pass the 10 paces back test and how to get eyes on it and things like that, but it requires a different type of artist to really make it scream out, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. So what would happen is folks would come to me and they'd say, hey, man, I have this I have this great idea, and uh, and I'm looking for looking for a partner here. And I was thinking, I'll be the idea guy, and you be the implementer. It's like, why am I the implementer? Well, I mean, already, already, <laughs> already, you're te- already you're telling me that um, already you're telling me that I have um, a subordinate role in the sense of I'm not the originator of anything. I thought you said partner. Partners do it together. Uh, so it's my brilliance and your brilliance that come together. To, to cause one and one to equal three or more. It's not, you know, one plus one gets us to two. That's just, that's just not how it plays. And what's also great about my business is I have a very, very tiny hand-picked group of clients that I get hands-on with. I don't have an interest in building the big team of people that I supervise and stuff like that. I just don't want to do it. I've done it before. Amen. And all I and all and all and, and all and all that happened was I ended up having to write invoices to charge people I didn't even know what was going on. And I had contractors, all of them great people, and all of them still friends of mine to this day that were uh, that really only came to me with things when something went wrong. It just it just wasn't where I felt like I wanted to be. So in expanding my business. What I've been doing over the past year is, uh, you know, maintaining this tiny little group of clients where I can get hands-on with stuff and really enjoy doing that. But the expansion point is the one-to-many. So the coaching, the consulting, the teaching, speaking, those sorts of things. Uh, and, again, you don't need a lot of people to do that either. At that point, you are mostly engaging people who truly are 
support, uh, where I, like, for instance, the Business Creators Radio Show that we're on right now and that our listeners are listening to, uh, my only involvement in the Business Creators Radio Show is I review applications, you know, like when uh, when your people approach my people and, and uh, about the possibility of you being here, I reviewed it and said, wow, this is really badass, let's do it. Or in some mm-hmm. cases, I'll say, oh, hell no. But uh, yeah, I, I decide who's going to be on, and in some cases, I invite people, and then I show up and do the interview. That's it. Everything else is handled. Everything else is handled by somebody else. And when I brought that person on, I had you know the the schematics and the workflows and everything, and I gave it to them. And uh, the first thing they did is said, uh, "Well, you can keep this because um, I can do this. Uh, I can do this in about one fifth of the time, and I only need four of these steps to get you a result that's even better than what you were expecting." And lo and behold, lo and behold, because I just uh, I recognized that. Yeah, this is somebody here to support me, but by support means make it better and do it faster. Right, right. Ideally, your support people know more about whatever they're supporting you with than you do. I mean, that's yeah. it's funny because I think that that's how you look at a CEO of a large company. Those are the best qualities is that they know how to hire people who are better at the things than they are. They're not they're not a worker bee. They're the visionary. And the same can go for, for those of us. I am 100% with you. I had employees. I don't want them. But I got lots of people that do contract work, outsource as much as I possibly can. And that's the new that's the new design of business. And I think it's amazing. And everybody wins because everybody gets that autonomy and that ability to really shine as opposed to being in this pyramid where everybody's beholden to the person above them. Um, I just really don't like that. That's a theory. <laughs> right. Right, right. And then when you look at it from a legal perspective, and uh, there's somebody who's uh, going to be on our show here pretty soon, actually, who's going to cover the distinction between a um, – and actually, actually, it's somebody we've had on recently um, who uh, covers the distinction between um, an independent contractor versus a W-2 employee. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, going through that whole test of what you – of how you tell whether somebody should be a W-2 employee where you pay employment taxes on them and, and could be eligible to have to give them benefits and stuff like that. And one of the tests is how much control you have over that person. With a contractor, while it's nice that you're not obligated to do anything but pay their invoice and say thank you very much, you don't even have to say thank you, uh, you at the same time you don't have the same level of ability to order them around. The only thing you can reasonably expect is that they uphold their commitments and you're clear with them on what those commitments should be and have their agreement on it. You can't order them to be available at such and such a time. Uh, You can't order them to exactly do certain things or comply with certain regulations. At the same time, you just don't like them, you can pull the plug. Uh, But uh, all that being said, uh, that is, some people say, one of the drawbacks of working with contractors to me it's one of the benefits because I like working with people who work with other people as well because there are there are cross learnings that happen. They'll discover something that works mm-hmm. really great with one of their other clients and they'll bring it to me. And I'm happy if they take my best practices and use them elsewhere because we all win that way. I agree. I agree. And I think uh, everybody's level of value that they're creating and then trading is much higher in that in that scenario. So I love how you just sum that up. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's it's a very it's a very very powerful thing, and I really like not having to pay taxes. So I'm quite happy to work with contractors all all day long. It makes life so much simpler. It's just it's <laughs> more fun to do it this way. Yeah. So if uh, so if I were to rebrand this thing and I wanted to bring someone like you on, I would uh, I would definitely look at it from that 
perspective. Uh, so uh, we're actually getting quite near the top of the hour here. We have just a couple minutes left, and I want to turn this over to you for a moment. Uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, you know what you can do for business creators, and I think uh, you also have a little something for our listeners just for tuning in and investing themselves today. I do. So I actually put up a, a gift on my Badaster Brand website. So Badaster Brand is my book where I basically – I. Uh, I share with you how I went from a Me Too brand, because everybody starts out as a Me Too brand, copying what other people uh -huh. were doing. It landed me in $40,000 of debt, and I yep. quickly pivoted with a couple of huge aha moments into what my brand is today, which is this really intensive model of, of badassing small business brands. Yeah. Um, and we did $500,000 in sales that next year without paying for advertising or anything. It was purely because we had built something that was so strong and noticeable, memorable, and shareable that that was enough to just start driving referrals towards us um, from, from a network of people that previously knew who we were, knew what we did, liked me, but just couldn't send me any business because I was so same-same with everybody else. So I talk about that in my book, Badass Your Brand. I put up a, web, a, a link, badassyourbrand.com backslash business creators, and um, if you go there, you can download not only the first chapter of my book, which you can get on the homepage, but also my Brand Shrink interview. So this is the first thing I do with every client. Uh, it's $2,000. I interview them, and then from that, pull out what their badass brand is and basically give them a plan. This is what your brand is. This is what your positioning should be. This is how you should charge. This is what you should talk about. This is what you should start doing, stop doing, all kinds of great stuff. Um, and I'm going to just gift that to you guys. Uh, if you're trying to figure out where your badass brand is, you can go to badassyourbrand.com backslash business creators, and uh, you can get my interview, and you can answer those questions yourself. And if you really take the time to answer them, there are quite a few, you will have aha moments about your business, I have no doubt. I've had people tell me they completely changed their business just answering these questions. Um, yeah. so I really wanted to share that with your listeners. Well, you know, it's, and as our listeners know, not only am I the host of the Business Creators Radio Show, but I'm also in the front row in the audience with them with my notepad and my two pens out uh, looking for the slide edge of my <laughs> business. So I'm going to go download this thing and do it myself because I'm always looking for this. In fact, one of the things I recommend to our listeners all the time is, you know, there's something I don't do. I don't meet people for coffee because first of all i don't like coffee i'm an iced tea man myself i have a big glass <laughs> of home brewed iced tea in front of me right now number one and number two i i don't have time to putz around uh you know sitting in some coffee shop somewhere uh this uh, uh you, know, you know giving free consult uh, excuse me i mean discussing ways to work together it doesn't so if you want to pick people's brains what you do is you start a podcast, you promote the hell out of the thing, and you make people like Pia Silva your heroes. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, listening to the Business Creators Radio Show, uh, you've probably gotten more from Pia, and I'm speaking to the listeners now, you've probably gotten more from her than you would if you could even get her to meet you for coffee somewhere, like if you went to New York and wanted to sit down with her. And this is one of the beautiful things about the world of podcasting and having online radio shows and things like that. So make sure you go to badassyourbrand.com forward slash business creators. And that link will be on uh, Pia's author's profile on our website as well. And you really ought to take advantage of this. So uh, Pia, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education 
for all of us and really just had a badass time. I truly appreciate you having me on, Adam. It was a lot of fun for me, too. Thank you so much. All right. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and on iTunes, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.